0: Crash course in history session five, Rabbi i We passed out a couple handouts. Sometimes visuals are helpful, right? You, know, you can put things in perspective. So um, we're t- looking at the map. You say so, you, so you, all wanna, the- wanna, you wanna look at the map briefly. Um, maps are, by definition, going to be distorted. No matter how whoever makes the map, whatever scientific precision that they have, um, it will be it will be inaccurate. Here you go, Ezra. So you know I mean? Mean, it'll invariably be a distortion. Um, if anybody's not using their map and their list, you can please, by all means, share. The, yeah, Among other things, borders, listen to this idea, borders are only meaningful, and even then they're questionable, in the modern sense when you have such things like electronic surveillance. Borders in the ancient world, what do they mean after all, when you hadn't had people manning the borders or enforcing them, and you can't step foot over my line. Right? All of that, all of that is, is, it becomes quaint and, and, and irrelevant. So that people lived, that's why people in the ancient world lived in city limits more than they lived within borders, uh, and with big, thick, often casemate walls, so as to have some sense of security, the only security is when th- that which HaKadosh Baruch Hu offers us, right? But to have some semblance of security, we call it bitachon, when it, when it refers to Hashem, um, when it comes to, in modern Israeli Hebrew, they call it bitachon too, but they don't do much of a job of that, they can't. The uh, only Hashem can, and, um, right, so these borders are, on some level, fictitious, but they give us a sense, and anybody who claims that they know the borders of the Shvatim, of the tribes of, 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 of Eretz Yisrael, I'm um, including this map, which is reasonable, but debatable, um, doesn't know what they're talking about, because the Torah, I don't know about your Torah, my Torah doesn't come with maps or pictures or even the connected dot version. Uh, so so it's, it's simply a guess. Um, Shimon, for example, is a wild distortion, um, completely misleading because it was small and eventually swallowed up within Yehuda. It didn't exist by the time in history that we find it when Shaul becomes the king of, of, of the Jews. Uh, it was part of the greater Yehuda, or Judean south, of Eretz Yisrael, um, and, and like that. Zvulun is debated. Some say it was landlocked, which doesn't make sense, because we know that they had access to uh, Tchelis and uh, the, the Chilazon, and the and that they were sea merchants, and so on, the Gemara indicates, I mean the, the Pesukim indicate. So look at these maps with incredible skepticism and realize that they're, they're, they're distortions, but with that said, they're helpful. Um, does that answer your question? Oh, in the modern day, so the modern day um, state of Israel, we know that they don't have the two and a half tribes across the Jordan River. Can everybody get to a place where at least you can look for the moment at the maps? They don't have the two and a half tribes across the Jordan River. Um, that's all in today's Jordan, except for Menashe. the, a lot of it is Syria. The, el, the area around the Kinnerets that you see is the Golan Heights. But, that's Menasha. We were there a few weeks. We were there a couple weeks ago. Um, and of course, the uh, modern day goes much further south. In this map, uh, all the way to the gul- the Gulf of the Lot. The borders of Eretz Yisrael, as well as were dwelled in by Am Yisrael, changed, fluctuated greatly over the years. I'll give you a couple more maps as we proceed into the Second Temple period. The, the, um, David Melech will expand the boundaries of Eretz Israel to a very wide uh, domain, including areas that are as far east as Iraq, the Tigris, Euphrates, um, and, um, really? and, and the Kashmonaim will also expand the borders differently. Uh, their borders have more hawachic relevance for the agricultural laws, and as I said, uh, yeah, it depends. Now, what's, that's, that's with regards to what we do today with regards to Shemitah and Trumos and Maestros and other things. Borders suddenly become very urgent and relevant. Um, but in the future days, the annuals question, what will these borders be pre- uh, precise? It depends on how we understand the somewhat enigmatic words of the Navi Yechezkel who he said correctly, he predicts what's gonna be in the future. Um, but according to Yechezkel, a precise reading, and I refer you to the school masterpiece, on the subject, um, of, on the Navi Yechezkel, you see there that actually all the tribes are coming back and that they're gonna have equal portions that are gonna be very equitably di- distributed in strips going from south, north to south. Uh, and each tribe will have their own portion. And somehow that will be adequate for each of their populations, which I guess, based on that, will also be equivalent. Lots of questions, lots of questions about that, but that's, the, um, that's probably the most authoritative uh, source that we have about the lusty love about the future days. Bernie? Um, just based on like, where the, the tribe may have been, um, are the size of how much they had, like how much land they had, was that based on how big the tribe was? Or were, were, were some like, where did that like... That's the exactly land? the idea. The reason, for example, Menashe has these two massive portions of land um, is because they were by far the largest... Uh, the most populous of the tribes. So the demographic. Tribes it, mm-hmm. well. it was it was it was very much requisite to the family portions. That's where you get the idea of the um, the ancestral inheritance that people had as being very holy and important. And, and 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 figuring also in history. There's a story for example of Navos So I actually skipped this as I was going through preparing this class. I skipped the Navos section um, where he's assassinated by Izebel and Ahav. Uh, Namo Israeli um, and part of the reason that he refuses to relinquish his vineyard to the king and the queen is because it's part of his ancestral portion and he knows the holiness of keeping it in the family uh, and all kinds of ramifications the other handout that I gave you anybody would like it if you don't want them pass them to somebody else because they're yours otherwise you'll pass them back to me um, the other one is an unrelated no but there are extras inevitably there will be white the people will leave them behind on the table so keep them these are for you, um, I only made eight copies so I wouldn't waste too many trees. The next one is, 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 is a list that I've alluded to, but now you have it, you can see it, look at it for just a moment, get to it, you can share with somebody. Um, you see the Misora. this is based on the Rambam's list, the Rambam's list, Maimani's list, of the Misora going all the way from Moshe Rabbeinu down to the end of the Talmudic period, Marmarabashi is the end of the line of the Misora. What this means is it's the smicha, some of us in, in controversial topics just had a discussion of what smicha, rabbinic ordination meant, Hashem gave it to Moshe, gave it to the Skenim and Yoshua, and all the way down, if you look at the first chapter of R. you can see some of these names, but the Mefarshim flesh out exactly who were the conduits, the local authorities in all the generations who transmitted the oral Torah until it was necessarily written down, transcribed in our holy Talmud, because we couldn't rely on an oral tradition anymore. But it's critical that we have this record, and again, the different Mufarshim, you can see at the top, I say this is based on the Rambams, but others, the Raived and the Balalichos, Saolam and others, the Arab Arbanel, dispute this, and they tweak, they take out this name, they add that name, um, but it's mostly, most of these names are agreed upon. Rabbi Akiva, for example, or Rabbi Akiva ben Yosef is the undisputed, undisputed Gadolador in his day, and therefore the conduit of the Syrah, going all the way down until it's finally transacted into the Talmud, Alex. Uh, Just a quick question, Um, why is it a lot of these names, uh, they don't seem to be used anymore? Oh, it's Jewish names? I, I, I agree with you. I, I don't know. They just fell out of uh, popularity. Some of them, like, for example, Antigonus uh, Isocho was, he's, people started naming their kids. That's how influential Alexander the Great and the Greeks were back in those days. He represents a cultural phenomenon of Greek names. That's probably okay that we've moved away from that, with the exception of such weird names as Alex, uh, right, who, uh, you know, who are a holdover from those days. Um, other names who were very popular once at the time included the likes of Ishmael, and somehow in the seventh century, that fell out of favor. Why? That was the Muslim revolution in the, the world, right? When when the the uh, Muslim took over, uh, the Muslims uh, went out and conquered, tried to conquer the world. The Jews stopped naming their kids Yishmael. So there are different reasons why why uh, some names I fall out of favor. Abaya is not a classic uh, Jewish name. It was an Aramaic-based name. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, but it's a good question. There are those. I've met an before. But you're right, it's not a common name. What about Habakkuk? is fantastic. Chavakuk is very important. We're going we're to hear about it. Uh, Habakkuk is the source, one of the, one of the very famous... Chabakug chabakug that We have the Tanakh. Achakalo uh, yom Shiavo is the basis of the tradition. Uh, we sing it. it Rambam includes that, includes that formulation in the most famous of the 13 anima means. Uh, referring to the Mashiach, I will wait for him any day that he should come, based on the pasuk in Chavakuk. And Achak hello, the Gemara derives from that. Lo, what famous principle? What's the gematria of the word low? I wait for him. Low or Oh my! Lo, lamed vav, lamed vav, mekim. The thirty-six righteous people alive in every generation, sustaining the world until Mashiach comes. That's where that source comes. So that's who Chavakuk is. And wonderful name. Um, I guess if it's uncommon, you know, the kid with the odd name in the on, on the school in, in the schoolyard will be teased. Maybe that's why parents don't name them. I don't know we now. Any other questions on these? On these? So um, I can't name my first son. Of Havakuk, I didn't say that. Just be. Just, just make sure you send it with guards in in, in his uh, to his fourth grade class. Okay, so fourth I'm graders just... are merciless. No. Okay. seventh okay. graders. Also, oh, seven. That's really and then the hormone. Oh, hey, oh, Seventh grade. Uh, tough stuff. Okay, so poor Habakkuk. He might. He might. He, he might go by Chavi. Don't take it personally, Avi. The um the king's name. The first king of the Jews' name is. Shaul. Actually, Joshua, to be precise. He's referred to as a king, but not really famously, so I did. it was a setup, I realize. Um, the a first official king of the Jews came from the tribe of Binyamin, Yom- Bin ironically, not what we associate with leadership. The classic leader is Yehuda, especially since his neck out is willing to admit to his imperfection. Binyamin, however, was the, in some ways the one perfect of the 12 tribes because he... Do any other, so any he was not involved in the first Yosef. He was innocent. He was beloved by everybody on that level, on some uh, and, and other other virtues, he's worthy of having the first king to come from him. It's um, a lot to say about Shaul. He's is, is, is a tzaddik, but he's a flawed figure. His major—he's uh, anointed by when when finally Shmuel HaMelech relents with God's permit, with Hashem's permission, and allows the Jews to have a king. Um, Shaul has a uh, tortured brain. I mean, originally, they embrace him as the first king. He's a big tzaddik. He supports the Kala's. Uh, he, he he does he, he's unprepossessing, utterly modest and humble. And um, his major mistake is not listening to the explicit command of Hashem when Shmuel, HaMela, Shmuel Hanavi sends him go, to go wipe out the nation of Amalek. Amalek. He almost does it, but almost it not good enough. Almost doesn't count. Almost doesn't count. Famously, he neglects to kill the king. He has Rahmanus on the king and is is our poster boy for the following idea, that when you have compassion on the wicked, it turns out you turn to be cruel to the kind. And that's, that's Shaul's downfall. So His compassion, you, you have to know where to apply your compassion. We have limited portions. And Hashem says anybody who violates Hashem's will is, is, is not somebody you can have compassion for. Agag is the emblem of that. And he should have been destroyed that one night that Shaul neglects to kill Agag and he gets away. He cohabits with, with a woman and from them uh, Amalek is preserved. Amalek is preserved, and of course, the famous descendant from this union, Haman. Haman, comes from this union, and that's why we read this parsha right around, right, right on, 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 on the Shabbos before, on Shabbos Zachor, uh, as the as Haftorah uh, that we read right before, um, we we celebrate Purim. Yes, Alex. Do you how the line of Amalek stops with Haman and his sons, and then like his descendants become? Not all of them. Most of them pass away. But apparently the Gemara Gitin tells us, I mentioned this yesterday, that they become, that they, we learn Torah. The, they, they, they teach Torah in Bnei Brak. Uh, We learn about that. Quite ironic. And speaking of descendants, we see how history overlaps on itself. Um, Shaul neglects to do the job. So who winds up finishing the job, as it were, for him? Who from the tribe of Binyamin finishes the job. Esther and Mordechai, who are also not coincidentally from the tribe of Binyamin and actually descendants who actually wind up doing it. What goes around, comes around. Everything in history comes around and is a beautiful, we often don't perceive this, it all fits like a glove. Uh, there's There's a metaphor for history as a tapestry where you see the beautiful um design on one side but we're not privy to seeing that beautiful beautiful design on the flip side of the tapestry are all the snarls you ever see nice embroidery but on the other side it's all kind of knots and you don't see the design you don't see the patterns one day when we all look back in, in, uh, in, in, with some sentimentality and a lot of pain at the history we endured, we'll see how all the various connections wove together into beautiful tapestry. It all it all comes around. Mida connected every, every but in the time at least, uh, Shaul, Shaul misbehaves and uh, and suffers for it. In the end, Shmuel the next day hacks Agag to pieces himself, and from this point on, never goes to see Shaul again. Up in Givat Shaul, which the archaeologists reasonably place. Also, not far from here, in the north of here, if you're ever driving, anybody drive to um Piskat Se'ev, modern-day Pisgat does that ring a bell to anybody? It's really close. Uh, yeah, no, on no, the no, way no. to Nevei Ya'akov, you're going a few weeks to Neviakov to Holy Rabbi Steyer's uh, home for Shabbos, yeah? So you're going to go up, and I alert you on your way up, right across to Pisgat there's a mountain. On the mountaintop is a pancake of a building, a two-story building that was the King Hussein built, started building in 1964, uh, Of while well, 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 this and... This land and that land was all in Jordan at the time. He never completed the palace. He destroyed in his attempt. The Six Day War happened. He never completed it, but he destroyed in his attempt to build a palace the relics of what the archaeologists believe. In this case, a team from Berkeley, California, in the 1920s, uh, um, went to try to excavate what they think is have the first seat of monarchy in the Jews, where Shaul was, and Charles and Shmuel won't go there anymore. The uh, in his place. Um, there's a ruddy young lad at the age of 17 years old, red hair and, and, and bright-eyed beady tail by the name of David. David, who comes from Beit Lechem. Uh, who else comes from Beit Lechem, interestingly, in history? <laughs> 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 Somebody, who tri- an imposter who tries to pass uh, for a, mes- a messianic figure, and they oh have him God. born in Beit Lechem to connect him, to make to give him some yes. stamp of legitimacy, because yes. otherwise he has no yes. legitimacy, and that's not a coincidence, where Yeshu comes from, Yeshu, comes from comes from uh, comes from Beit Lechem, that's to connect him with David, to give him some messianic legitimacy. Um, otherwise, even the Christ, many of the Christian scholars deny that he was born in Beit Lechem, Yashka was not born in Beit Lechem. It doesn't make sense that, he should, that she should slept down from was Nazareth in the north. In so some scholars, nobody knows. The story is unclear, don't believe what they call their New Testament, but the, the claim that he was born in Beit Lechem was very very logically connected to David's uh, birthplace in Beit Lechem. Shaul will appoint him over his army eventually when he defeats Goliath, um, and, uh, and, and David, David is, uh, he's, Shaul promises him his daughter, uh, Michal, because he defeats Goliath. I'm skipping some of the famous stories, a lot of the stories. I'm really doing this quickly. I, I, it is a crash course in history, and I'm being selective in what I want to give over to you. Uh, in one episode, the women anger the king Shaul when they start praising young David. They say that David slayed the tens of thousands, and Shaul simply slayed the thousands. And Shaul, Shaul starts getting jealous. In fact, when he neglects to fulfill Hashem's will, Ruach HaKodesh leaves him, and in its place, what is substituted in Shaul, A certain melancholy. He becomes sick. He, I guess, in the DSM manual, we might we might uh, we might diagnose him as having a uh, uh, borderline personality disorder, and he starts he starts becoming depressed, so depressed that the only thing that will, will cheer up his spirits is That's music, why, yeah. and they bring in young David, who's the greatest oh, no. musician in all the land, is, and he plays yeah. his key, he plays his harp, and and, and thereby makes lifts Shaul's melancholy at least temporarily, until of course Shaul decides that David is trying to usurp his throne, and his crown. And then he decides he's more lemalhus. If he, a person who rebels against the king of the Jews is, uh, it's a capital crime to do so, and he's subject to the to the death penalty. And Shaul sets his eyes on David to go murder him, and he chases him all around the country. And some of the very famous scenes in the first book of Shmuel Shmuel, uh, uh, Shmuel uh, and he chases him to places such as far and wide, such as um, such as. Carmel, which is south of Chevron, where, I'm not doing this in order, where, where, he, where David meets his future wife, Avigail, and he, he slays her husband, Navos, who's a terrible figure uh, in the Tyra. Um, he, chase, he chases him. Um, he earlier finds him, goes to David's house. Michal pretends that there's a figure in the bed. She puts all these, uh, a, a, a decoy that's not really David in the bed. Meanwhile, she helped David out of the window. Uh, she defenestrates David, I guess you'd say. Uh, she takes him out of the window, but, but in, a, in a nice way, he climbs down, and that night, David, when he's fleeing from Shaw goes to learn with Shmuel. You know what he learns with Shmuel? That one night, that fateful night that he learned with Shmuel, that Michal all helped him escape? All all pass, all pass. Not much, just all the Kula Torah Kula, all in one night. He didn't see him on Shas that night. If you were David and you were Shmuel, Shmuel's the master teacher, David's the master student, you could do stuff like that. We're not quite, we, we ain't so smart nowadays, right? They could do that. Uh, and he masters did, the did turret, the CMO turret CMO in that shots. one night. What's that? He only did a CMO Choss? Well, I'm using that as a way of putting it in terms that we can yeah. understand to. He's yeah, mastering Kola Torkula in it, it those it, it days. Did exactly. He did yeah. it without, he didn't need Raccino Tostos. That, yeah, that would have been have insulting to his intelligence. So, huh? what, about <laughs> what are the methods? So, Revisation? so what, what was it? What's Choss? What does look like? So at this point, Shas doesn't look doesn't look like that at all. Shas is the entire oral tradition, all the principles set down in Har including Targum Onkelos, and all the basic uh, categories of Malachan Shabbos and everything that we now know, but reformulated back in those days for, for for smarter people, who could take in things that we would not understand. If we sat in the Sheer that night, we would sit there and blink, and not have a clue what they were talking about. David. I speaking of seen, David. I'm going to that David learned all of that in one night. What it took. Uh, to it took Yosef 14 years mm-hmm. you know, There's mm-hmm. something called the, Oh, oh. you're saying previous generations That's um, previous, like the, oh, sure. the Some people Were stellar individuals Their tzidkus shown such such That a Baruch gave them greater mental capacity Since this point We have a major concept in history you should be familiar with Called Yuridas Hadoros The decline of the generations It's been mostly steadily downhill Since this point in history and sometimes with a, with a freefall kind of, kind of descent. At the time of the Chorba Mesa Mikdash, Amisro went to freefall. Um, Rav and Abaya, many generations later, will lament the intellectual decline of the Jews. Concepts that took just a couple generations earlier to explain, you could get over the concept in a half hour. They needed a whole month to give over. Today, they'd come to our share and they would say, oh, these poor Nevis. How does that happen? Yerida That's the concept. Ugh. The organizing principle of history is hacheit goren. Sin causes everything, including, remember sin gives us body odor, and gives us uh, bodily waste. Sin also makes our brains smaller and less capable. Do you know that they say today that some people are even distracted in the middle of sheer? What? No, seriously, really. They might not even pay attention. You know, some people actually come late and leave early. Back in the day, that was unheard of. And they sat and they just, they simply, it all went like a vacuum. In. And they retained it all. You read this, Hathoros, sin, or, our relative who sometimes how it's, to it's gradual. I I don't know, know, I'll it see how that way. came to happen. It also seems that, why would God, formulate this. Formulate it, we'll talk about it. We'll do it random We'll it We'll do it in We'll do it in random questions. What's that? A person who? No. What happens is, is the more you learn Torah, the smarter you get. The higher your, your IQ. The, the people who, take, who give the IQ, IQ tests assume that the IQ is more or less set for life, but not in Torah. Torah can actually change your intelligence. The of Voloshim, the Holy Rosh Hashim, one of the great Jews of all time, was by his own account sub-average, sub-par as a student nobody ever paid attention to. him, And he simply sat and learned tired and it became brilliant. It's, um, you can do that too. I've seen that in my own short tenure. I've seen people uh, just take off. People you would never have noticed. Un- unremarkable students who just sat there with diligence and became brilliant. The, um, you have to know that Shalom Melech, if you were just reading the Pesukim, not V'Shalom does not emerge in a very flattering light. No? you've read the Pesukim of Does not come off sounding like a very, very good, good guy. He is Chazal tell us one of the great figures of history. Go look. We 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 learn about him. He's a, he's a galvanizer. He's a huge tzaddik. He makes mistakes like everybody. Everybody from Adam down to David makes mistakes. And Shaul makes mistakes, no question. There was a big, uh, a big consequential mistake. But he's Tahor from his first year. He um, gave his fortune to the poor. He fought valiantly on behalf of the Jews. That's where he falls down. The Palestinian kill him. The Philistine kill him up in uh, uh, Mount Gilboa. His head is hanged in in Beit Shan. When when he dies, David laments, "Ech naflu a giburim," a very famous pasuk that translates as, "How the mighty have fallen." You're familiar with such an idea? That's referring to Shaul. Shaul was a great man. It's another proof of this idea it's, I asserted yesterday that you cannot learn the text of Tanakh without Chazal. If you just at Chazal, you would misunderstand Shaul and everybody else, frankly, utterly. Um, his great mistake that Chazal attributed to him was that he was too concerned with public opinion. And that's why he didn't want to kill Agag. It might not look entirely nice. He was too concerned with public opinion. And we know real leaders have to do the right thing, even if sometimes that means that their decisions are unpopular. Rav Yisrael Salanter said, Rav, uh, r- uh, he says, he failed to kill Agag. He says, Ki I was afraid of the nation. I wasn't sure if it would go over well, he said. Rav Yisrael Salanter in the 19th century said, a rabbi, or any leader, frankly, with whom everybody agrees is not a rabbi. A rabbi with whom everybody disagrees, nitkin mench. Not a mench. So you have to somehow toe the line, find r- the right balance. But if you're just the person who's, who's constantly looking over your shoulder, looking for people's agreement, uh, you're not a leader according to Jewish, Jewish hashkafa. David Amalek's name appears literally more than a thousand times in Scripture. He's the most; he has the record for that. Nobody else comes close uh, in, in the Tanakh. His name appears more than anybody else. Moshe too, more, m- by far Is more than Moshe. Yeah, most Rabbeinu is in the Chumash. David Melech spans. He's in Tehillim. He's... he's, he's, he's yeah. Right? David Melech is huge. He was the Gadolador. He spent his lifetime learning constantly. How constantly? He slept four half-hour increments a day. Four times a day in half-hour units. A feat that was repeated in history by whom, famously? No, no. Much later in the, in the... I'll give you a hint. In the 18th century... Uh, the Gur. The Vilna Gaon the also slept. His sons his sons were eyewitnesses. They said not only with the Gra, the they saw him sleeping in these half hour intervals. Um, in the wintertime he, the Gra kept his feet in ice buckets so he wouldn't fall asleep. Um, in during those half hour intervals they noticed that the Gras lips moved in silent chazara of his daily uh, learning. That was the life of David and It was pure Torah, all Mesiris Nefesh. Mm-hmm. Um, the Gemara tells us that his great states, his great general Yoav, would never have won the wars without David sitting in the base measures fighting. They were a tag team. That's why the religious world today is of the opinion that the guys sitting in Yeshiva are not leeches on society, but are actually doing tremendous feats for defending Klal Yisrael, did even you, if, even if the cause-effect-oriented world doesn't perceive that and believe in it. But that's our belief. That's, that's that's the Torah belief that somebody learning Torah actually protects the Jews. I refer you to Maseches Makos for an elaboration and really a lot of places in Fazal in, in of this exact idea. Um, at the same time, the Gemara says, David couldn't have learned without a reliable military man like Yoav. They were a tag team. Um, right. David attacks a city, a Canaanite city, that was never conquered of the, by the name of Yevus, otherwise later known as... No, not, not Jericho. Jericho was long conquered by Yeshua. Uh Yevus is otherwise, no, maybe you've never heard of it. They call it, today they call it Yerushalayim, Yerakodesh. And it's David Melith, it waits all the way till David Amelith to be conquered. Okay? It's, it's, it's the seem one of the seven Canaanite nations. It was a neutral and central site, and I refer you now to your maps. Please take a glance at the map. You'll notice its central position in Am Yisrael. It was never conquered and Yehuz is actually within two tribes. In fact, the, base, the Harabais itself is located right smack dab between the tribes of? You know, Binyamin. Men, Binyamin. and Yehuda. Okay. Binyamin representing the Bnei, this week's Parsha. Binyamin representing the, the, the sons of? Roughly Menu, Yehuda, the emblem of the sons of Leia. Leia the total unification of the Jews. I, You'll, you'll forgive the analogy, but it just works. You know what I think of in that in the more contemporary world? It's another example of a neutral capital that everybody can embrace. New York? I'm thinking of Washington, D.C., Don't say that situated, not quite poked, but more or less conveniently between the Yankee North and the Confederate South. It's a similar concept, at least, that everybody should feel that they have access to it. Yushalayim is the eternal city, and David conquers it. He exiles the, the Knanim. And um, he all but builds the base of Mikdash. That task he's not allowed to do. Nasan the Navi tells him that his hands are too bloody for the many wars. David is indeed a warrior. He does fight, as we said. Is he ruthless when he fights people? Well, when he had. Not ruthless. That's a bad word for it. He's purely Lashim Shemai when he's fighting people, and sometimes that means killing people. Do they they, they give details of the battles? Uh, there is some detail, but you'll notice that, given the number of battles that Am Yisrael wages, it's it's remarkably blood free in the descriptions. They don't really care. In the in Chazal and the Torah is not so interested in the blood and the gore. There's much greater interest so I, in, the, in the moral. Sure, send me an email. The, uh, but not certainly not. If we're doing a crash course in history, I'm not going to digress there since the Torah doesn't emphasize it. The uh, Thank you. Thank you, David Melech. Now goes to Kiryat Yarim, What's been lo- what's been in, uh, what's been located in Kiryat Yarim for 20 years? We mentioned this oh, yesterday. The uh, Arun Kodesh. Yeah, After he yeah, from the police team, he brings it in Telzim, where, where uh, that's where it's identified as Kiryat Yarim, He dances it up. It has a quick sojourn in, in Beit uh, obed Agiti, and then eventually he builds a tent for it outside of the Temple Mount in Yerushalayim, because it has to wait until the, his son is going to rise up and eventually build the base of Mikdash, and then they're going to install the Aaron Kodesh in the base of Mikdash, um, yeah, for, for, for all of posterity. By the way, don't get confused here. That was the Arun Kodesh. We're talking about the Holy Ark. Not to be confused with the rest of the Mishkan. The Mishkan, let's, quick, let's quickly catch ourselves up. The Mishkan was the sanctuary with everything else. It was our, before the base of Mikdash, it was the portable base of Mikdash, it was the, right? And the, when we last mentioned it yesterday, the Mishkan and Shiloh was destroyed, and suddenly it resurfaces. We find it in Nov. Uh, Nov, it has a terrible episode that happens uh, when David is fleeing from Shaul. Uh, Shaul, in, in part of this melancholy craziness, goes after it and murders the Kohanim um, there. And then Nov, uh, Nov falls, and the Mishkan moves to Givon. It's all really close to us here. All of just in the north of Yerushalayim, Givon, it's, there, it's in Givon, uh, it's in No for 13 years, Givon for 44 years, a total of 57 years, until eventually Shlomo will move, uh, will move the Mishkan to Yerushalayim. Those elements of the Mishkan that he needs for the base of Mikdash, he'll incorporate. Most of them he doesn't need. So what does he do with them? They're all created, you remember back in the desert, the Jews build the Mishkan with such love and devotion, it was created with nadivu slave, utter self-sacrifice, and Hashem loves that. And you know that's true for every mitzvah that you do, every Dvartura Torah you invest in, everything that you do that's worthwhile, every tear you shed over Klal Yisrael is preserved and, and eventually become part of the base of Mikdash. Shlomo takes them, and you said correctly, remember those labyrinthine maze of tunnels that he builds underneath the area of Harabais? That's where he places all of the clay Kodesh. What's also there we mentioned yesterday? Uh, eventually, uh, the Aaron Kodesh itself, according to one opinion, the, um, the, man ma, the, 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 the man and the staff, and don't forget the golden. Uh, rats and hemorrhoids. Don't forget the rats and hemorrhoids. Okay, well, the well, taurium and the oh, akhbarim. Uh, uh, and what about the radicals who are searching for all of I know, <laughs> I know. <laughs> I know. <laughs> okay, Go I, ahead. I don't understand. Like, How do you have golden... Yeah, I understand golden rats because it's a rat, but it's gold. I mean, golden hemorrhoids. That was yesterday. I know about I wanted to ask that yesterday. Can you, can I have golden, golden hemorrhoids. Gold. Go look up the psukim. Go look up the psukim. Yeah. Obviously, some kind of image of them yeah. doesn't sound very appetizing. I don't know about you, but yeah, yes, go ahead. How do you store mine? But it's not storable. Oh no! In fact, later on, Yirmiyahu Naavi. By the end, I'm jumping ahead a little bit. I'm jumping around a little history intentionally i to give you just a, sw- a sense of the of the sweep of history. Uh, Yirmiyahu Naavi near the end, just right before the first Temple's about to be destroyed, the Jews. He says, everybody, the. the the thing he tells the Jews to do, how you're going to save the temple, sit and learn Torah. That's what yir tells the people. And the people start coming and they complain. It's not a modern complaint alone. It was back then, too, they complained. Uh, they said, but how are we going to make a living? Got to work. Right, they said. And so what is, Yir-Meow gives the greatest, wordless rebuke of all of history. He simply reaches behind himself, pulls out the flask of man, and holds it up for the Jews. And they said, ah, yeah, right, never mind. <laughs> Sorry. Um. Meaning, what is the emblem of the man? The man shows us that if you do Hashem's bidding, Hashem will take care of you. And the midbar Hashem took care of us. Today Hashem takes care of us. You've got to do the mitzvahs. David HaMelech rededic- dedicates Yerushalayim to the service of Hashem. It's the eternal capital of the Jews. We'll talk about it shortly. One evening, David's great fam- um, uh, is great blemish on, his, on an otherwise uh, not perfect career but, it, but, but one of the great Jews of all time walks on his rooftop, rooftop and sees Bat Sheva she's Tznuah he doesn't see her actually uh, bathing but he knows he sees her down below uh, he recognizes in her not a cute girl Chas that's the misunderstanding and Misha O'Mesha David Chata Eno Elo the Gemara in Chavez tells us he's mistaken if you think that David sin he sees that she is his future wife and the mother of the future progeny who will be the kings of Yehuda. The Malcha Yehuda will all come from Ba'sheva. And he has Ruach HaKodesh that perceives that and he realizes that her husband is the man who was mourned, but Malchus Uriah was Chayav Misa, and he doesn't sin in any way that it appears. Another yeah, okay. reason why you need Chazal. His sin was, as Fazal said, he should have gone to the Sanhedrin, which is the august body that makes, that Pasch and Salacha formally, he should have asked for them to, um, to formally try Uriah and make him chayav Misa, um, even though technically what he, everything he did was correct in setting up Uriah in, in battle and making sure that he was, he was sinned. And that's why when he's rebuked by the Navi, by, when Nasana Navi rebukes him, um, and he tells it so dramatically. He tells the whole parable of a rich man and a poor man. And the rich man takes the other man's sheep. And, David, and, and he says to David, who should, who should, uh, you know, what should we do with this rich man, this, this man who steals the poor man's sheep? Which is obviously a very, very obvious parable there. And David says, kill him! Because David doesn't realize, the, the parable he doesn't realize what's being done. He, he's a brilliant man, but he misses the point in this case. So Nussan looks at David and says, atah ha-ish you're the man and David, David says David says oh remember the, the Navim in these days are fearless I know but when, in, in contrast with Haman who sits in denial David's answer is typical of Yehuda who has no problem when confronted with his own mistakes and mortality, admitting his flaws. And that's what David says. And whereas anybody else in the world would have probably had Nusin, had, had his tongue removed and, then, and had, had Nussan's skin flayed while he was alive, David takes the rebuke and his response is, Chatasi Lashem, I've sinned. That's the remarkable David Amalek. When confronted with his, with his blemishes, he owns them. He takes responsibility. David comes digging around near the threshing floor of a certain Aravna Ha'ivusi, Aravna the Jebusite. What's that threshing floor? Uh, Where it is it located? Under the, under the, uh, it's under the, the site the, of the future base of Mikdash. The, the holiest place in the world. It's right about here. What is this? Oh, that's, that's the rock under the dome. That's the dome of the rock. Good. The threshing floor is right here. So he goes to the threshing floor. He buys it fair and square. It's one of the three purchases in history so that nobody should ever be able to say that the Jews don't own all these lands. What are the other two? Mars Machpelah, Avram Avinu buys fair and square, 400 shekel kesev of les socher. What's the second one? Coming up in not this week's Parsha, next week's Parsha. Uh, Yaakov Avinu purchases for 100 meekzita. He purchases shechem. So Chevron and Shem and Yushalayim, Yerkodes, HaRabais are all Jewish and nobody in history has ever disputed them. We bought them fair and square. We still have the capital D. Wait, what? which Well, actually, all three of them are highly disputed. But OK, they don't tend to listen to our sources. Um, <laughs> yeah okay ironies of history in any case david buys this area the whole area of Harabais, for 50 silver shekels good deal i would say although the gemara excuse me the pasuk in dibre that's in malachim in Yami, it says he spends more in Yamin they count as 600 shekels and the mefarshim tried to explain that um he's not worthy of building the base of miktas in the site as we said his hands are too bloody however however when shlomo comes to do so the gates famously won't open And it's only when he mentions the schuyos of his father, David, that they open. Everybody realizes David's the superior human being. He's the superior tzaddik. Shlomo has his own relative schuyos, but the gates don't open for Shlomo, even though David's not designated to build the base of Mikdash. Let's go back to the beginning of time, and you will Pardon me. I think most of you heard this, but you might not remember it either. We did this picture. Now it's the first Arab of Shabbos that you were in Eretz oh, Israel, artists. and we're sitting out in that spectacular over overlooking south of Yerushalayim, And I got this. I got this out, and I'm talking to my limited too. And we're talking about the foundation of the world. And I quoted the Madras that talks about it's it's, it's Mar and Yuma too that says that Shasia. This stone, the Evan Shasiyah, Shemimena Hushta Olam, From here the world was founded. Hashem threw it into the firmament and um, and the rest of the world was created from here. Um, from here the world expanded. This is the place that most post-came, the Ramban and the Radbaz, and the Ravadya Mibartanura, and everybody says this is the place what the Arabs called Al-Sakhra under the Golden Dome is indeed identified. If you want a virtual tour again, look, this is if we're standing in the dome looking down. I'll take you to tour around. Inside the Harabais? Inside, not Harabais, inside of the Golden Dome of the Rock where where, where, the, where, the, where the, this is the stone is identified. This is a picture about 150 years ago taken by American Protestants from the American colony across the street. Um, this is if we're standing at the level looking down at the stone, but we can go down the stairs in the back, go down to one of these alcoves and, and go down here. And we can go down further underground and see the underbelly of the stone with this great lighting, looks nice and mystical and and eerie. Um, This is underneath the Dome of the Rock. Okay, this is the stone from the underbelly. But what interests me is underneath these carpets, see, because the Arabs and the Muslims are extremely superstitious religion. They have all kinds of tales and legends about all the tunnels that exist underneath these carpets that are now barred and closed up because they don't want anybody going down there because according to their legends, many of their legends, people went down and didn't come back up again. So they like to seal this off. Occasionally one hears stories in the early 80s, for example, when the Jews were digging around they weren't supposed to. And they're digging around in there so there's a whole, tu- there's a whole tussle that, that happens where the Arabs come down and, uh, and they're digging down there because we have our tradition that these tunnels are all underground and all these good treasures are waiting there, especially our own Kodesh, but many others, and the clay Kodesh from the Mishkan and many others are sitting underground waiting waiting and ready to be unearthed in the times of machine. Know, Alex, why did they get rights to this? Stay tuned in history. Crash course in Jewish history, I'm trying to get there. Um, are you okay with me that i am taking longer than I anticipated? I'm yeah, good, I that gave I can't right. rush quicker. I told I told somebody, I had a dream. I've had a dream that I'm teaching this. I'm trying to run through the material, and I just can't skip certain things. There's too much valuable things. So I don't know what we're gonna do. We're gonna try to continue this until Rev of Institution comes back, and maybe later in the year we'll continue, we'll pick up. I, I think I can get it into about 20, 20 sessions. Um, and we'll get we'll get a good chunk of it done. So, Bezras Hashem, I hope to answer your question, Michal, that How did the Arabs get this? But let's stay tuned. Yeah, quick. Let me let me continue. Yeah, uh, yeah. would it be bad if we, uh, if we unearthed the treasures? The yeah, people have tried, and I wouldn't worry about it. Kind of is in charge of such things. Um, the treasures are way way, do way, do way do down. Do down do do Go look at the Gemara Numa. Go look at the Gemara Numa. You'll find all of this all of this. So, you want a reference? I'll tell you where, where to look for it in Gemara Numa. Go to. Uh, my right, following. I don't want to spend more time on this. Yuma. Eh, no, wrong reference in Yuma. What are you doing? Send me an email. Send me an email. <laughs> this is the same location in history where Adam Arishon offered sacrifices. He uh, offered sacrifices to Ganesh Baruch It's the same place, um, according to our tradition, that Hevel and Cain built their Mizpachot and offered their own korbanos to Hashem. Uh, it's where Noach, after the flood, landed and came and offered his own korbanos it's Har Moriah, where Avram offers Yitzchak in the Akedah. It's the place in last week's parsha where Rivki Menu goes. She goes to inquire Hashem in the yeshiva of Shem and Aver. We talked about. It's where Yaakov Avinu in this week's parsha. No, really, come on. Yaakov Avinu in this week's parsha. It's where he does something. Really, important. really important and embarrassing if you don't know this. Wait, wait, come on. We, we, uh, we read it. We read it and Monday. Julian did a masterful job yesterday morning in reading it. What has happened in this week's parsha in this exact holy place, the centerpiece of the universe? He puts his he puts his head down on what initially are how many twelve stones. They all unified. We got one stone. And What does he dream about? No, the ladder, the Jacob ladder, with a, a Malachim, Malachi Asharis, Olim, Vyordim, the angels that are escorting him out of Eretz Israel and to, 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 to Galus and so on. All of that takes place here. It's where the first temple stands, it's where the second the temple rock. stands, and where <laughs> the Navi Echazel tells us, by Shlishi will one day, hopefully really soon stand. Yeah. yeah. What? That's yes. That's the consensus view in the post. Not could it be, but that's the consensus view. Was the, rock a rock the Here's another tip. Ari's question, if you listen to it, how could that be the rock if there were 12 rocks and they had a dream? Um, beware of making a mistake that I'm guilty of, of trying in your mind's eye. And we, we do this because we're trying to grasp history, which is vast and, and exciting, but ultimately beyond us. We try to film the cinematic version of history, don't you? Don't you cast it too? Who plays Abomavino? Don't say Tom Cruise, please. The um, <laughs> right the, you know, like we, we try to cast it. We try to, like picture it. how does this word, how has it come together? A lot of history, especially in these lofty, elevated early days of history, are simply beyond us to fathom. That there was one central rock and others glommed onto it, that's a possibility. But I don't know. No, 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 no. Don't do take mean? it too literally what is I my point. Let's not a, let's a, not digress. Let's it's not digress too much into it's this. Great universe. Okay. Um, these last yeah, days great. of... Sh- uh, David rules for 40 years. Initially, his rule is in Hebron for seven years, and then he moves it to Yevus, and that's where the Jewish eternal capital is established. The During his last years, and during his son Shlomo's first years, get this, are the peak years in all of history. The nation enjoys unprecedented and never repeated political gain- economic prosperity spiritually. It is the model without any comparison in all of history for the days of Mashiach. In fact, when Chazal tried to describe what Mashiach times will be like, this is the time that they hearken back to. Um, in fact, the Gemara Nebuchadnezzar tells us, it was, such a, it was such a wonderful time to be part of Klal Yisrael, they closed the doors to converts. They were, they were banging down the door to get in, and they, they didn't accept it after a certain point. No, no. Chazal had their discretion. The people, the rabbis, the leading rabbis in any generation can decide, not good anymore. They're not coming for the right reasons anyway. They're coming because of all the goodies. Yeah, Daniel. I heard there's a measure about Malach Shlomo, how mm. during his reign, a um, um, Muzzah kidnapped him and took over his body. And oh, yeah. oh, you're ahead of me. You yeah, can't do thunder. that. Yeah. Yeah. still my thunder, Daniel. And they see because he's not wearing a slip No, No, They can't do, do that. Choose. Go in there right now. Shlomo Melech is, is, When his father dies Is an old man of the age of Twelve so He's a, he's a um, precocious youth To say the least And um, Hashem appears to him in a dream And offers him a wish Shlomo Modestly with excellent midos Simply asks Please Hashem Can I just have enough wisdom To all know how to lead Am Yisrael And do a decent job it's such the correct, humble approach that Hashem is knocked out with the boy and says, You're gonna have wisdom. You're gonna have wisdom beyond any wisdom ever known in the world, before or after. You will in addition to wisdom have wealth and honor and long life. Interesting, he lives only forty more years. He's fifty two, that has to be explained. I'm not gonna do it now, go look it up. Um, Shlomo Hamelch is a man of miracles. His court was unlike anybody else. Everybody sat by his throne in a perfect position. He had the Sanhedrin. He had his his mother, the Queen Mother. And then the passage says he had also his mother there. And the Medrash asked, wait a minute, it already mentioned Bathsheba. So who's sitting right there? Why, none other, while he's adjudicating, while he's sitting in his throne trying all the cases, teaching Torah, inspiring the Jews, sitting in the throne, is in a rightful position, is his great-great-grandmother, Grandmother. Roots, finally getting a little nachos, meaning the kinder. Right, a little little enjoyment from the, great, from the great-grandchildren. Did you see Shlomo in splendor? Because this is the time that all of history is waited for. The great Shlomo was going to build the base of Mikdash um, himself. Uh, he was known for miracles. I'll give you just a taste of life. There's, I can do this endlessly. There's so many fantastic midrashim. When lying witnesses would come, stop now, stop now, 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 when lying witnesses would appear before him, his famous throne that all great later kings wanted to get a hold of, because everybody wants Shlomo's throne, his throne was activated. The wheels on it started turning, the oxen, the uh, fake oxen started humming like real oxen, two lions at each at either side of the throne started to roar. Wolves howled. Lambs bleated. Tigers roared. Bears growled. Hawks screamed. Birds chirped. Peacocks ran. So lions and tigers and bears and mammoths mammoths uh, By the way, that throne, was that? How big was it? Oh, it was massive. Go look at the descriptions. If you want more on this, send me an email. I'll give you all of this. And it's fantastic. It's fantastic. Also, by the way, nobody ever lied to Shlomo HaMelech. Nobody ever lied to Shlomo Melch. He could, an amazing feat, read foreheads and tell who was telling the truth. Wait, when two we, people came and argued over a plot of land, it was no problem for Shlomo because he spoke the language of the animals, trees. he spoke the language yeah. of the trees. He'd simply ask the tree whose land it was. Good trick. He didn't lie when he came to Shlomo. Who later in history could repeat this feat? I'm thinking of the, of the 16th century. Read foreheads. Oh, it wasn't in a Jewish family. The, oh, it. It oh, the could do no, similarly. No, like, oh, yeah. um, by the way, later non-Jewish kings stole the throne. Shishak had it and Daryave stole it. Achashverosh tried to recreate it when he didn't have it himself. He couldn't. He failed. Alexander the Great much later brought it to Egypt. Rebelazar, in the times of the Gemara said that he saw fragments of the Kise in Rome that the Romans had made off with it. In the end of days, the Mashiach will sit in it again. Um, Shlomo Melch, his greatness, his grandeur didn't stop there. He ruled over the entire world, this world and the above world, the Tachtonim, the alyonim, male and female demons, is what you're referring to, Daniel and, uh, and Bernie. Um, Lilith danced in front of him. He spoke the language of everybody. He was assisted Wait, by angels and time. demons who danced before him. He created pools he created the precursor to what were later called Roman bathhouses. They didn't pre exist. He is the source of Greek ideology. I, I mentioned that idea to you. Um, he built what the Gemara describes as luxury chariots. chariots with the Benishchai, and his great Perush, the Ben, ben Yo Yoda, says he built, he knew. He uncovered principles that only recently in modern science have been discovered. Uh, and he kept them all a secret. He built the first motorized coach, the car. No. Says the Benishchai. Go look it up. The, uh, when he he built the base of Mikdash, the Pasuk says Bano Banisi, an Ad Lashon I surely built. It meant that everybody in the universe joined for the building. It was a schus to chip away at a rock, um, including the demons, the Ruchos, the Shedim, the Malachim, all the angels helped build the base of Mikdash. Uh, The stones had to be whole. Rambam describes them. There was not a single blemish. It's the first temple, not the second temple. Second temple's a come down. Right. Third, third base matrix will be the most lofty, elevated building. It will built by most authorities, <laughs> by, by fire in the, in the heavens. But when Shlomo built it, it was the most lofty kind of a structure without the slightest blemish or crack. Um, it was built with this cute little furry creature called the Shomer. The Shomer, which is a miraculous creature that's built oh, I mean, from one of on on the, the class, ten, okay. one of the ten creatures okay, that's okay. built um, on the air on the, uh, of Shabbos in the first day of creation, uh, right before right in the very beginning of creation. Little cute, little size of piece of barley, soft and cuddly, can cut through the hardest materials. Oh, don't don't work, play the with the it. <laughs> Yeah, that's what the Gemara, if you want a fantastic piece of a God, it's, uh, it's described as worming correctly, because it's a one-of-a-kind creation. It's sweet, generous. It's nothing like the Shamir. I refer you to the fantastic Gemara in Githinan. Samachas, i of an base, and you'll be very, you'll you know enjoy the, it, and don't, Chim- don't just stop with the entertainment. It's extremely yeah, deep, too. Where he oh, yeah. needs to kidnap the king of the demon, Ashmedai, in order to discover the whereabouts of this Shamir creature, so he can build it. He's Machbir. He doesn't have to do this, but he wants to make sure the stones have no imperfection about them, and only the Shamir can cut perfectly. That the guarding like the correct the and then the chicken commits the suicide for doing a bad body. job that's that Gemara very it good sounds like a very nice it's a fantastic very Gemara bad. it's a fantastic <laughs> Gemara and don't think you understand it if you read on the surface you have to learn all the Mepharsim and go deep 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 it's a very very uh, heavy Gemara uh, um, Rambam says the determination of a stone was puzzled if you ran your finger, fingernail along any edge of the, of, the, of the stone and you saw any nick or cut in your fingernail there wouldn't be any it was perfect. Um, if the, the Medrash tells us, I'll conclude with this about the base of Mikdash, Tan, Medrash Tanchuma says, if the non-Jews knew how beneficial the base of Mikdash was to them, forget us, to them, it was a benefit to the entire world, they would have posted full-time sentries to protect it. When the Jews offered their Nisukhamayim, the water libations nations on Sukkot, so then it rains in France and in Argentina. The world is taken care of, they don't realize what they destroyed when they destroyed the base of Mikdash. <clears throat> when the base of Mikdash is complete, at this point in history, Bamos become permanently forbidden, the only place that a Jew is enabled to offer a Korban is the base of Mikdash I mentioned, the goyim are allowed to offer, they're, not, they're, they're Korbanos but not Jews from this point on in history Tefillah is uniquely directed to Yehushalayim and the base of Mikdash no place else, from anywhere you stand in the world you face the base of Mikdash nobody, nobody can enter the Kodesh Kadoshim where the Aaron Kodesh stood in the first temple period except famously, <laughs> Kohen Gadol and Yom Kippur. Not even the Malachi Esharish were allowed in there except to remove <laughs> dead Kohanim, but that only happened, when did Kohanim die? Not any one Kohen Gadol died in the entire first temple period, only in the end of the second temple period because of our sins. Everything's because of our sins. Shlomo knew that, if the, ba- that, if, that the base of Mikdash would be destroyed and underneath it therefore he designed these deep tunnels where he buried all of the goodies that I talked about, um, and, and, and left at Lassid They also feared that Balak, because they left a magic spell, 1,500 Amos beneath the foundations of the base of Mikdash. This is why Moshe so desired to enter the land and why David wanted to bury down there. Uh, and they tried to remove the spell. The spell apparently is there too. Well, and, right. and it's some kind of an evil spell that curses the place and may, be, may have something to do with uh, the, dis- the misfortune that the Jews have suffered since then. So let's get rid of... One last point. I'm over time, but let me, just, let me just finish this. The Tanakh actually tells us a lot about Shmol, Shlomo's downfall, which we're going to start with tomorrow. It all goes south, and all of history goes south from that point on. These are the high times. Everything goes bad since then. Um, and actually, his 40 years, there's almost nothing, in Sefer Malachim and Dibre Yamim are the two books that you'd find the narrative information, and it doesn't tell us much, because the Navi is only concerned with giving over the negative. Because the people learn Tanakh as Musr. If you learn that everything's terrific, there's not much Musa there, so the navi doesn't have to elaborate. But the the navi does tell us that the population booms, and there are no wars, and there's no famine, there's no disease, and the economy remains strong throughout the entire 40 years. The Pesach says, The Jews lived with security. Classic image. Each man under his grapevine, under his fig tree. The entire swath of Eretz Yisrael, you can see it in your maps kol cool, Me Shlomo during the days of Shlomo, the land was filled with happy people. I, wow. And then it all went sour. It may wow. Come tomorrow.